In the spring of 2021, Mickey Weems was diagnosed with stage 4 prostate cancer and was given 6 to 12 months to live. This episode was recorded in May of 2022. My name is Donna Blanchard, and while we recognize that Mickey Weems is dying, we'd like to welcome you to another day of his life. Hello, Mickey. Thank you so much for sharing this with us. Aloha. My pleasure. How are you feeling right now? Where are your emotions? I'm doing well. I've had coffee. Okay. So that makes a difference. My emotions are good just because the, the, the pleasure of talking with you three is, is awesome. Oh, this is like the fine wine of conversations. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate everyone else who is here. Also, we have James Charisma is producing the show and Susan Wright is here. She's an amazing PR agent and a support team extraordinaire on, on this venture. Um, uh, and I, you know, this is, a, this is a foursome that is so very diverse. And as soon as we started as soon as uh, Mickey um, asked me to call him one night and the conversation immediately turned, uh, he said, this is where I am. I knew that you were, you had terminal cancer and, and you were in stage four. And you said, there's a, I was working on this comic book project and that's done. It's out in the universe. And is there any way you can think of that you would like to use me? And immediately I thought, podcast, we could do, we could talk to you to learn as much as we possibly can about everything that you're going through, because you're so very open about what you're going through. And I knew that uh, the charisma and I have, we, we worked together on so many projects and um I love his brain and him and want, really wanted to have him involved. And Susan Wright is also working with us on several projects and her perspective is so, uh, we're all in very different places in our lives and our careers and we come from very different backgrounds. And I, I gotta say, I just knew in that moment, I have to contact James and Susan. I just knew it. And I, uh, before I spoke with you, Mickey, I had no, uh, I had no, I'm like, why is Mickey want to talk to me? I haven't talked to you in a while. We, other than we communicate on Facebook, I, I really feel like this team is magical and mm -hmm. I'm just so very grateful to be a part of it. So thank you, Mickey, for you're the one who brought us together. Oh, pshaw. <laughs> You know, actually, in the first episode of this podcast, you said that you were very grateful for it. Mm -hmm. Since we've been talking uh, throughout these episodes, have you ever felt uh, other emotions with us, like anger or grief or fear? Anger is something that I want to completely eliminate. The only anger I want to have is towards injustice. Other than that, towards people, I want to let all that go. I don't, I don't have time for that, literally. <laughs> um, yeah. and, I, and I watch people, you, you know, it's when you watch people when they approach their time for them to go, 
you can, we, I think we've discussed this, that you see things come forth from them. You see, you see things from their nature that um, sometimes are absolutely beautiful and other times are really disturbing. Um, I want to make sure that as I approach my end, that everything that comes forth is beautiful. So I've got to get rid of all that anger. I've got to get rid of any kind of, you know, negativity so that nothing comes out of me but light. And that's a work in progress. <laughs> yeah, I think sometimes, thank you for that. And I think that sometimes we don't, I one time was having a really bad day in college back in the eighties. And I remember talking to this other woman who was a couple years younger than I. And uh, she reminded me years later that we had this conversation that was just me feeling crappy. And she said, what you said really made a difference for me. I think I was complaining about how expensive school was. And I said, well, you better go to every, if you're paying for it, you better go to every class and get everything that you can about it. So uh, I'm telling you this story just to say, you, you got to say what you got to say and you got to feel what you got to feel. And Mickey, I can only estimate that. Yeah. You have some muckety stuff to work through coming yeah. your way. And I I just, I'm sure I speak for all of us when I say it, it's going to be okay for you to say, talk about the muckety stuff when you get there and you can be mad about it. Yeah, we'll be mad with you. Okay. We promise. <laughs> um, so Here's something that I would like to delve into that I think is going to be a really big subject. So we should get into it right away. Um, you said the human race is going to face some serious challenges and I'm not going to be able, I'm not going to be here to help. So what can I leave in terms of knowledge or assistance? Can you talk a little more uh, uh, about that? Sure. What, okay. I wrote a book called The Fierce Tribe. And The Fierce Tribe was about circuit parties. Circuit parties are huge gay events for men in which we, and I'm going to say we on this, we get together, do lots of drugs, stay up for like four nights in a row and dance to really good DJs in fabulous venues, shirtless. Uh that's what my book was about. And what I looked at was masculinity about how, when you're in this, you're in this, this milieu of all men, pretty much. There's, there's a few people that there's a few women, there's a few trans people, but most everybody is, is, is um, identified as, um, as cisgen um, and gay. Um, the, these men are most, most of us are high. Some of us are out of our minds. Um, most of us are muscular, very strong, and pretty butch. You know that we 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 do have we do have yeah, feminine men in the circuit, but most of us are masculine in the way that we in our demand demeanor, whatever you choose to however you choose to define that. But the amazing thing about that is that the rules for masculine men are broken because there is very little to no violence. Um, 
what happens when the object of your desire is uh, is like you and so the dynamics between men and women which a lot of times can be so skewed they're not the same in the circuit because it's, it's between more or less people that that are um assumed socially to be equal when we hit the dance floor the biggest difference would be how built you are okay and that's not always a deal breaker because somebody who has good drugs will be sought after. Somebody who's witty will be sought after. Somebody who's a flamer and just funny and just cutting on everybody, just like, you know, putting people in their place, especially the real butch ones, they're sought after. So this, there's this milieu that does not include violence at all. The, what you do instead is to show vanity instead of hitting somebody, you snub them. And from personal experience, that can hurt. That can hurt a lot when the object, when the person you think is really, really hot, and you go up and say, hey, you know, I'm built too. Do you want to dance with me? And they go, who do you think you are? No, thanks. That, that can really hurt. But you walk away without being cut, without being knocked to the ground, without being shot. Okay? That, so I came to an understanding of violence, of masculine violence, that I think informs the world of warfare. And part of that, of course, comes from my own training as a Marine. So I know what that training is. I've trained myself in violence. I've trained myself in the art of war. Or I've been trained. Um, to see this, to see the dynamic shift, it is fascinated me. So I thought, okay, then what we need to do is we need to redefine what it means to be a man, what it means to be vain. Um, George uh, Simmel the uh, Georg Zimmel, who was a German sociologist. He said, vanity is the need for others in order to despise them. <laughs> Which I absolutely love. And you see that in the circuit. But this, this, this despising, this, this dismissal of others, it, yeah, people walk away from it with hurt feelings and that's it. They don't walk away with it on crutches. Okay, they're, they're, they're so... Um, I thought there's hope for us if we can realize that, if we can realize, if men could get together, and you see this in raves, by the way, it's not just gay men who do this. When you see straight men in raves, you'll see them have the same behavior where the, you know, the, the whole plur thing, peace, love, unity, respect that the rave people that the, the house heads have. Um, that's the reality for a lot of masculine men, straight men. So there, there, there's hope for us. If we can get over that, if we can get over the kind of vanity that demands damage, physical damage, that people talk about doing violence to somebody, and we talk about how words can do violence. When I wrote my book, I was looking at violence on a very, very literal level. I understand how words can do that, but what I was talking about was actually hitting somebody, was actually inflicting physical harm on them. So... Um, I looked at those dynamics and let me get back to your original question because I think that I've strayed a little bit from it. I was wondering how this was going <laughs> to, are we going uh, to turn to that? And you don't have to go back to genocide if you. Yeah, this, is, this has work. everything to do with genocide. Okay. 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 That when you look at somebody like Vladimir Putin, war criminal that he is, fascist that he is, he exhibits all of, this all of the traits of toxic masculinity which you can find some of it in the circuit, but we managed to move around it. 
and I would assign that to his vanity. And you can tell that way. What, what man, what world leader takes pictures of himself riding on a horse shirtless? Okay, you know, so th- th- this guy is so obvious. Um, and I am too. I mean, you, you give me the excuse. It's Tuesday and I'll walk around without my shirt on. It's cold outside. I'll take off my shirt because um, I'll make up any excuse to do it, right? I like showing off my physique, but I have, I have humor with it. There's, there's a difference. And also I made a vow to myself that I would never, ever, ever put down anybody else if they were not as physically fit as I am. And you look at a thug like Vladimir Putin and he exhibits all the wrong things. And he's 100% anti-gay. And I know why. Because we represent a, a form of masculinity that, that shames him, that runs con- contrary to him. And his kind of masculinity leads to the idea that you have the right to kill others, that you have the right to to wipe out an entire country, which he's doing to Ukraine right now. He he thinks that it's his fiefdom. He thinks he has the right to do that, to totally and utterly destroy people because they will not bend to his will. Yeah. So I wish that I could do more to educate men on how to be real men and not be the the clown that Hitler was, the clown that Vladimir Putin is, the clown that Donald Trump is. Okay, that that they that we progress as men and and get past that. Um, the, the first step I think is for men to accept for, for straight men to accept gay people. Um, the second step is for them to accept, and these two are related, is to totally accept women as equals. And I think that men don't really know that yet, and that they do not have the right to bully anybody. So that's the thing, is when you don't accept anybody, somebody as an equal, you can bully them. You can physically browbeat them. You can physically hit them whenever you choose. Okay, that's the thing we got to get over. Because what that translates is, if you want to look at the butterfly effect, all of those petite acts of violence I think add up to genocide. Oh, yeah, I think there are an awful lot of straight men who hate women. Yep. S- straight up. It's not just that we're not equal. They hate us and that may be born of fear. And maybe it's fear of something inside of them, but keep going along that track. So what are the other how do how do how does a man be a real man? Well, first of all, he lets women talk. I know men who in this situation wouldn't let you get a word in edgewise because you're a woman. Mm, I do too. That, uh, and I've seen it. And I, actually I had women, women had to point it out to me. I thought, oh my God, you're so right. You know, because I tell you what, as men, we're clueless. As women, we are not. As a man, I'm, I, I don't walk into an elevator and immediately clutch my keys so that one key is sticking out in case that stranger man decides he's going to try crap with me. I don't. That's not a fear of mine. Um, I've had women tell me that they'll be at a, at a meeting or something and they'll make a suggestion. The men will just talk over them. And then another man will speak up and say exactly what she did. Exactly yeah. word for word. And all the other guys go, wow, that's brilliant. <laughs> yeah. What the hell? Donna and Susan? Is this the, see, it's, it's, it's so hard for me to believe because I haven't experienced that myself. But this is common. It's so common. We get interrupted all the time. We don't get credit for what 
we say and do, someone else uh, adopts it as their own, and then it's given credence. Uh, and all of us have, all of us have a molestation story. If if sure not actually having been molested, we have. Uh, I don't know what the age is, but you can't get past a certain age, and I think it's probably your twenties, without having at least an attempted molestation story. We got to get Susan tell- on on a microphone. Oh. Susan, it, yeah, do, please. Do you feel that's correct? Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. <sighs> absolutely yeah the rage inside of me right now is almost unbearable you know i i yeah i and we live it every day and it begins with stop interrupting women (laughs) just stop interrupting us and hear what we have to say but you uh yeah you're right that we live in this patriarchy and at the time that this has been recorded i have to say there's some very disturbing stuff going on in the supreme court and it looks like roe versus wade is going to be turned over and um what i after when i was going through my divorce from my first husband i often said my second husband's going to be gay (laughs) (laughs) because i honestly didn't want anything to do with straight men Go team go. Yeah. I, w- <laughs> I want to live in a commune with a bunch of amazing women and gay men and trans people who just want to be a part of it. Yeah. So uh, um, that genocide is uh, straight cisgender men uh, uh, killing women. That's that's a sign of it. That that leads to it. I, I honestly think that that is an essential part of it. Um, that that you've got to find groups to bully. Literally, the, the the bullying you saw when you were growing up in high school and grade school, that is exactly what fuels genocide. I can draw a direct line from that bullying at that level to what's happening in Ukraine right now. The audacity. Mm-hmm. And one of the points of shame is I bullied too. I fell into that. How so? Um, I thought that's how you're supposed to do things. Mm. And I still, that's one of those points of shame that I don't think I'll ever live down. And it's good. It's a good reminder to me to watch myself, to make sure I never do it. Where did you get it? Well, first of all, I was bullied by my father and my brothers. Mm. I mean, constantly. I, I, I had to watch myself at every moment. Um, bullied at school. And then I, in turn, bullied people. And I thank goodness I stopped. I'm so sorry that happened to you, Mickey. That's, I think that story is repeated so often that yeah. every, you know, it's kind of like the cancer thing, right? Bullying is this, this um, I, I think I posted once that genocide is a pandemic. And until we realize the disease that it represents, we will never get over it. We must, we must treat it as if it's a disease. And I speak that because what, what happens if the bullying itself will grow and grow and be consolidated into a monster. And I'm talking a real monster here. I'm not talking about like, like an imaginary Godzilla. I'm talking there, there are real monsters out there in the universe. 
And we saw it with fascism in Germany. That was a monster. Yeah. And people get caught up in that monster. I have a friend whose grandfather, I haven't talked about this, have I yet? No, I don't okay, think I have a so. friend whose grandfather was responsible for food distribution in the eastern part of Europe when the Nazis had taken over that. He was given the order to take all of the food away from the people of Eastern Europe and give it to the troops on the front line in Russia, the German troops, all of it. Let them starve. He signed the order. When the Nuremberg trials came up, he was brought before them and he was one of the things was he could have been killed. He could have been hung, executed for it. But it just so happened the order was never carried out because the allies came in and prevented it. So he went to prison. He eventually um, got out. Um, he had a wonderful son who I, I know. And his son had a wonderful grandson for him who was one of my best friends. I would not have that friend if it were not for a man that almost killed millions of people. So what happened? What, what were the dynamics that brought this, what I would assume to be a very good man, into a situation where he became part of this monster? And um, I think what happened is that you, you get sucked into it. Um, you catch the disease. And so when, when I look at this country, when I look at the fascism, the creeping fascism that's becoming really obvious, it's not creeping anymore. Um, what, what are the signs? Erosion of women's rights. Um, attacks against LGBT, attacks against queers. Okay. Those are the signs where, where okay, we, we can see it coming. Um, uh, uh, a criminalization when you separate at the border an infant from their parents and you isolate that infant what in your in your world could allow you to commit such a such an ethically terrible thing when you separate children like that and and you got to think okay why are the children being separated and and they're being hidden and all of a sudden these children will just disappear what happens to them are they being sold so, and all of this plays into, I honestly think that plays into fascism, which plays into genocide. Right. I'll just leave it at that. Gotcha. Oh man, you wrapped that up perfectly <laughs> in time. We, we, we need to wrap up this episode. I, um, you know, I, what a, one thing that I, well, there's a lot of things that I really appreciate about you. And one of them is that you're a very deep thinker, a very long, you have the ability to hold a very long, complex train of thought. I appreciate you sharing that with us. And I appreciate the perspective that you have gained as someone with stage four cancer, bringing that to us. Thank you so much for sharing that story with us, Mickey, and we'll probably revisit this at another episode soon, but for now I have to say goodbye. Aloha, everybody. Aloha. I'm Donna Blanchard. James Charisma is our producer. Susan Wright is our content advisor, PR agent, and support team member. Music generously donated by Kainani Kahaunaele from her Hoku Award-winning album, Waipunale. We're all here to support our friend Mickey and help him help all of us to learn about living while dying.